Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Brian? Hey, hey, Bobby. Well, we are doing another series. We teased this a couple of times over the last few weeks, but this is Meeting Prep 2.0. Uh, we all started this whole thing with meeting prep back in your kitchen in London slash Windsor many, many months ago now. And uh, this is episode 133 and series 24. So exciting that we've uh, continued the journey as long as we have. Certainly so. And I think the like this is the most core part of the job. So uh, it's it's a great one to recap on. We've learned some things. We've changed some things. So it's a great uh, series to recap on. Yeah, if you haven't listened to that first series, uh, by all means, we'd recommend that you do that. I think the concept of that first podcast, that first series, four big episodes, was all about really that first interaction with a customer meeting, probably more tuned for an enterprise rep or someone who had very few accounts. And this one, we're trying to, to really share a broader picture and really taking into account three types of customer meetings, that new prospect or customer meeting uh, of any size or scale, the recurring kind of existing customer meeting and then the meeting where maybe an executive's coming to town or you're putting on an executive briefing. We're kind of pivoting on those three and we'll talk about those as we share our examples and things throughout the next few weeks. This is slated to be a three-part series and uh, we got more to give away as we go through this series as it relates to tools and other things. So uh, share the podcast with your friends if you would and let's help us keep growing the listenership if you would. Thanks. So, you know, two years ago, just over two years ago, uh, I was still at EMC Dell, and uh, when I we released this first series, some of my cohorts had listened to it, and they were like, Bobby, if you do that much planning before a meeting, I'm nowhere near what you're doing, and I think you're, I think you're completely full of crap. Uh, and the reality is, is there's some, something to that, right? Like, as I had, I had six accounts in the enterprise space. I had already had all of those first meetings, but I can tell you that I really did that much work when I first joined EMC as an enterprise rep to do the research on those companies, to formulate my plans with partners, to dig deep on the contacts and org charts. And I mean, I probably spent for that first one hour meeting with all those accounts, maybe not the introduction meeting, like here's Bobby Doss, he's new to your account, because it would be almost embarrassing to try and oversell to a customer in that respect. But as my momentum with those accounts kind of grew and I was taking my first approach to take the partner, myself, the team into a meeting environment where we were going to understand their business and sell them something, I did tons of tons of planning and tons of research and tons of work. I think one thing I challenged there a little bit too is that it, like anything else, uh, as you practice this, it becomes very second nature to like quickly pull up a financial statement, to quickly look at the news to quickly look at the the people that work there, like it becomes almost muscle memory. Like I've got this meeting, I need to be prepped for this meeting. Let's go. It, and so it's not, you know, as you do it five times, ten times, fifteen times, uh, like anything else, you're not having to look at a checklist anymore because it's second nature. 
No doubt. And and again, it does kind of vary, but those people that were challenging me also had had those accounts for five or six years. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't doing that first meeting level of research anymore. They knew the players. They knew the players that had left. They met the players when they came in. It was very different the way those interactions with those companies kind of kind of came together. Um, but as Brian said, this is the job. I mean, this preparing for meetings, understanding your customers, getting to know your customers, understanding what they really need is what makes a great rep better than average. Um, I think we all feel it, feel it in our consumer buying world, right? Like we've talked about you buying a car, Brian. And I mean, I can go to a car dealership and tell a guy I want a truck and he's still trying to show me cars, right? Like that, that, that's not even meeting prep. That's like real time just listening. And the same thing goes when I call the phone company. Uh, I have a dispute on my cell phone bill recently. They kept trying to sell me cable. Like, I don't need your cable. I need you to fix my phone, right? So those are real-time meetings, whether those people know it or not, that are that are falling apart, right? So this week, uh, we're really talking about everything as it relates to prepare for customer meetings. And we're breaking it down into three parts. We're going to talk about researching the company. We're going to talk about researching the participants. And then we're going to talk about preparing yourself and your team. As we move into next week, we're going to be talking about the planning phase. And then we're going to talk about, in segment three of this series, following up. Uh, and each each one of these episodes is going to come with a tool. And uh, we're going to try and wrap them all together into a little package for everybody as well at the end of this series. So download the tools again, share it with your friends. Brian, let's get started. Let's do it. So when you, uh, when should you research a company, Brian? Like, uh, and I think we've, we've obviously prepared, but there's those three levels. An inside rep talking to a new customer uh, is very different than an enterprise rep talking to a new customer. Sure. And they might need to prepare differently and for different amounts of times. But I'll tell you, and we've joked about this many times, the lobby right before the meeting is not the right time to prepare for a meeting. How would you help a new rep or a seasoned rep listen to this podcast think about the amount of effort and when should that effort begin to prepare for meetings? Well, going back to your lobby example, because this is like, this is my kryptonite. Someone reading a statement on a lobby wall, uh, some sort of plaque as they, and then they walk back to the customer meeting and, and they say something to the effect of, it seems like you have a really good culture here because it's, you know, they have like a top X number of places to work that they saw on the on the wall before they hit it. And it's like, it's, it's, it's so bad. It's so played out the the person you're meeting with has heard that 50 times. Uh, so Bobby, to answer your question, it's typically for, let's say that you're a, a mid enterprise rep that you got 20, 40, 60 accounts. You book a meeting. I, I think you should be a week out as you start to prep for it. Yep. I like that. And then if you're an inside rep then have hundreds, if not thousands of accounts, maybe even the whole freaking phone book, Obviously, that's not the expectation anymore, but the expectation should be that if you have 20 or 30 accounts that you're trying to contact each day, meaning I'm going to make 30 phone calls, there's nothing that says if if 10 of those accounts are in your top 20 or 50 list that you wouldn't spend time at least reviewing their website, understanding if they're public or private, and making some thoughtful decisions on how you may sell to them. What we didn't do early on in this podcast was like real-time examples and walking people through it, and that's definitely not what we did in part one way back when for this meeting prep 1.0. But today I thought, Brian, just 
off the cuff, if you could give me an account, I'll kind of walk the listeners through and you, you can articulate and dictate some of the things I'm doing and then um, maybe give the, the users listening to us today some examples on how we would do some research for a company. Sounds great. Um, let's pick, uh, I, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, so let's pick Texas Capital Bank. This was one of my very early customers whenever I was uh, selling, uh, when I was a reseller working for uh, SoftChoice. So perfect. Texas Capital Bank. And what I would do... Public, publicly traded company, by the way. Publicly traded company, which is a big difference, right? Yes. Obviously, with a public company, we can find out a lot more information. They have to share. The SEC requires them to share things. That's going to help us for sure. And there's there's ways to find information about public companies, but you're probably not going to find a lot of financial information out about, pri- sorry, about private companies. Um, so the first thing I would do is obviously pull up a browser and I would Google uh, or search your favorite search engine, uh, Texas Capital Bank. And what that's going to do is pull up some things. And what's interesting right off the bat is that Google has suggested, did I mean to look for Texas Capital Bank stock? Probably because that's what a lot of people have been doing lately um, based on current market trends. And if you listen to this in the future, we're recording this in the month of June 2020. And uh, COVID is at its its phase of kind of everyone thinks it's returning. So the market is still extremely tight and lots of volatility going on right now. But by Googling them, Texas Capital Bank, I find their websites there automatically. Lots of information about them from Wikipedia on the right. I obviously find their stock ticker, um, which I'll be clicking on here shortly. Uh, It looks like it's up uh, overnight or yesterday, a good 4%, which is exciting, I'm sure, for them. But who knows what that 4% is clawing back down from. So Google's obviously the first path. And based on this, just typing their name into Google, I understand they're public. Uh, and that's that's a big help for me because I know I'm going to get a ton of information. And that probably means I'm going to spend a little bit more time preparing because they have to give me this information. Um, wouldn't it be nice if every one of your customers gave you information about their current financial position, what they were planning on doing, what they were planning on divesting, and kind of a path forward. If you knew that before you walked to a customer meeting, Brian, wouldn't you call that person and ask them those questions? Yeah, and people ask me all the time, like, okay, I've got a meeting with an executive. How do I prepare a thoughtful agenda? And the reality is people are relegated to the people they speak like. If you speak like someone that understands their business and has researched their business, guess what? You're far more relevant to that executive. Yeah, and if it's truly an executive, they probably were involved in writing a lot of this material. Um, and they probably are very familiar with it. So it, it's obvious. Um, so I, I, I've Googled them. And then, of course, the next phase, next step for me is I'm going to go to their website. Obviously, uh, their website's going to be everything positive they want you to hear about. They've got the same COVID message that everyone else has, including my flight school on their website. And they have the normal kind of banner of buttons and things. Um, they definitely speak about being here for the community and clients. Big old skyline of Dallas, good, good picture up there. Um, but nothing, nothing over the top. I think uh, a key statement by their CEOs on their first page, Brian, Texas Capital Bank is a true business partner. We have a unique ability to monitor situations in real time and make adjustments and improvements immediately. Um, I guess that's based on a them have that's a customer who's a partner of theirs. Um, news down at the bottom, but let's get off the public pretty website. And it, if you don't know if they're public for some reason, you found their website. 
the the big telling clue is that they have investors listed right on the front of their page, right? And private companies probably don't have an investors link. If I click on that investors link, it takes me to their filings and things that they've done with the SEC and what they have to put out from a, a kind of a standards with their financials. So they got quarterly reports out there. They've got webcasts, which I would probably listen to if I was an enterprise rep and this was one of my accounts. I would definitely listen to their last couple of webcasts. I probably wouldn't listen to investors' questions and challenge them, but I would listen to what they had to say. Um, I might look at their board of directors here and lots of information. Some some companies put their, their presentations that they present to investors while they're on the road. Lots of meaty information in those presentations. Um, but I know they're pro- public, and I'm going to go look at some of my more public resources. Brian, anything else you might do on a on a website here before? And I and we are coming back to look at one more thing in just a minute. But anything else you might look at on a website? Uh, well, I'll hold the thing that you were going to come back to. All right, perfect. So the next thing I would probably look at is uh, just naturally pull up Wikipedia and and see if see what others have contributed. Um, lots of pretty good little summary information on their finances on the right-hand side of Wikipedia. Probably teaches me more about their history than I would find on their website or other places because people have contributed to this. But not a whole lot of meat here on Wikipedia, but I do find out the areas they serve, uh, and some of that information would be valuable to me for sure. And at this point, I'm looking at their lines of business too. Like, I know that they're a bank. Well, what kind of bank? What markets do they serve? Uh, what are their core products that they're selling to their customers? And I start to kind of make a quick uh, list. I use OneNote to kind of start to organize my thoughts on the company. Uh, so I kind of list out, okay, so they're in this business, this business, this business. And I kind of start to paint a picture for me as to they're, they're more than a bank. They do all of these things too. Yes, and that's key for sure because we we want to know their business. We'll never know it as well as they know it, but we want to know their business and be able to speak to them clearly. Um, the next thing I would do, uh, I would go to Google finance and some mechanism. If you, if you go back to where I searched on that page on the right hand side, there's kind of some information about them. There's a a stock ticker TCBI. That's their stock ticker. They're listed on the NASDAQ. And so I would click that link, which would pull up their Google finance page or finance information from Google finance. And it's a summary of what's going on. And if you look at the overview, it probably defaults to something like today or the last five days. I think mine's defaulting to the last day. That may be configurable. But yesterday they had a pretty good day in the market. As we mentioned, they were up 4%. Uh, looks good as it relates to that day. And and today, as we're, we're recording this, it's $31.42, up 4%. But I always go to six months, especially in a time like COVID. It sure. kind of hit midstream three months back. Um, and we can see the, really the devastation that this has done to their business. Uh, the chart turns red. They were tracking right below $60 for the last little bit. And then it got crushed down all the way to $20 in the late mid-March phase. Uh, and hasn't climbed back a whole lot. Let's say their low was nineteen twenty-nine, And today they're back 31 So they've recovered you know, they've grown 50% as it relates to market cap in the last two months, but that's a drip compared to where they were. They're still 50% of what their market cap was just a few months back, um, which is damaging. And if you scroll down, you can see their quarterly financials. 
again, this is not a ton of work, people. This is all at your fingertips, specifically for companies that are public. But just the summary view of their quarterly financials tells me that their revenue is down 40%, their net income is down 120%, and their net profit margin is down 133.4%. Not many businesses can do well with those kinds of numbers, Brian. And Bobby, why, like, if you're a if you're a rep in mid market and you have sixty companies, why is it important to understand their financials? And the the biggest reason is like it goes back to what we we always talk about is you have to be an expert and you have to be a peer to this, the person you're speaking with. Even if you're not meeting with a CFO, you're probably meeting with a CIO or a VP of IT. All of those people have stock in the company. All of them do. They have some sort of compensation plan that. That they where they carry stock for Texas Capital Bank and they have stock grants and based off the performance of the company they make more or less money and when you come into their office and you say how's business going, which is it was which is a very generic statement, you, you you walk yourself into a bear trap here like it's been tough going, that's the answer it's been tough going, so come in with come in understanding their business and I know you're trying to we're trying to sell them you know printers or a licensing agreement or whatever else. So like, why are we looking at all this financial stuff? It's because you don't want to walk yourself into a bear trap and you want to show them that, that I'm a business professional, not someone just looking to hot goods on you. Yep. And this, this does tell a pretty good story. Now, if you click below that where it says more financials, you get two more pieces of information that are pretty, pretty telling as well. So the net change in cash uh, is significant over the quarter. Um, and it tells me that the net change in cash is $5.23 billion in the positive, and that their cash on hand is actually $9.54 billion. And it says that it's up 314%. Now, Brian, you just told me that things are dreary. Man, they got 315% more cash than they did a, you know, just a few years, like a year ago. Why would that not get me jazzed up as a rep to sell them every printer I can sell them. Yeah, well, they, they pulled that money out of the market. So their business, to your point as a bank, is to earn uh, income uh, off of investments that their uh, clients are putting into the bank. So they've basically pulled their clients' money and their own money uh, out of the bank. And so yeah. they're they're afraid that's going to get exposed and they're going to take losses on it. Yeah, so one good example that I've shared with people who've asked me financial questions over time, this would be the equivalent, literally, of you being a homeowner, uh, those that you of you that are listening, and you have, let's say, you're you're new and you got thirty thousand dollars in the bank, some in savings, some in in, in your checking account, and you've got you've established, you know, uh, fifty thousand dollars in your four hundred one k, and it's growing, and you're excited, uh, but over time you've bought a house, and your house equity is a couple hundred thousand dollars. Well, that's not very liquid. Yes, you can sell your home, but that's not very liquid. Well, if you sold your house and then you got a check from the closing of $200,000, your net cash would have gone up 200%. Like, that's fantastic. But that doesn't mean you have 200,000% or 200% laying around to go blow. What are you going to do with that money? You're going to reinvest it. So Texas State, Texas Capital Bank has done the same thing. They've probably cashed out some investments. They've made some decisions. They're going to respend all that money on what their core business is, and that's what you need to understand. That cash is not really cash that they're going to go blow. But as shareholders, the shareholders care what they do with it and want to make sure that they, they use it as well in the right way. Hold on, Bobby. We are 11 minutes into this conversation. I took a little time stamp when we started this. 
Mm-hmm. We're 11 minutes in. We've already reviewed their website. We know their lines of business. We know uh, what message they're trying to tell the public, kind of the, the friendly public-facing message. We've already reviewed a quarterly financial statements. We understand their stock history, and we've, we've spent all of 11 minutes. In your most challenging customer meeting, like a company that you took, it took forever for you to get in front of. Like how many weeks or months did that take you? Oh, and how many phone calls? How many minutes of dialing and leaving messages? And so more than 11 minutes, yeah. Probably, yes. So that's the, I think that's the point. Like I get it. It's time consuming. It takes effort. But you spent all of this time and weeks and probably months trying to get in front of this customer and we're just 11 minutes in and you've you've already out-prepared the average account rep. No doubt. No doubt. And now now we're getting to the good stuff and, and it's not going to take that much longer. But from that same page, I would click on the news button from, from the finance page up at the top. It says news. Click news. And you're going to get things from Yahoo Finance, NASDAQ, MarketBeat, Dallas Business Journal, Yahoo Finance, News Heater. I mean, all these informational sources that are doing the research for you and they're just giving it to you. And and these all each of these windows that I just mentioned have less than 100 words, 20 words in each one. The first one from Yahoo Finance is tax, Texas Capital Bank Shares, colon, hedge funds heading for the exits. So... We could have wrote that article ourselves based on the little bit of research we just did. We know that they're getting out of all their cash positions in bad investments, and they're bringing it all back in. We probably knew that, but that's good information to know, especially if you do have the chance to talk to a finance person and you you get the chance to talk about it. Be very careful. If you don't know what a hedge fund is and you don't know what they do for the business, don't try to talk about hedge funds, but you have some information here right at your fingertips. Their price target on their stock was raised uh, just three weeks ago, uh, still 10% above where it is right now, which is good for them. Um, you got to think, as Brian mentioned, these people that have the stock options and these stock awards, they are also down net worth 50% in everything they had as it relates to this bank. Uh, so you, you're rooting for them, no question. Uh, next, and from that financials page, we saw that they had 1,700 employees. The next thing I would do is go to LinkedIn uh, on LinkedIn, we normally can find some pretty good information. Again, it's going to probably be their rosy stories that they're publishing back out, but some good information for sure that you need to understand and know. What I like first to see here is that there's 1,545 employees that are on LinkedIn. So almost all their employees are on LinkedIn. So surely whoever I'm meeting with, I wouldn't be able to find out about them. Uh, and then I get to see some of their posts, some of their people, some of their announcements on people. Uh, all good stuff, and they seem to be fairly active and seem to just, with a quick scroll, have a people-first message on LinkedIn. Uh, and you can see what jobs are open uh, that they've posted on LinkedIn as well. It uh, doesn't look like they use LinkedIn for a whole lot of recruiting, but they have nine positions out there right now, um, from mailroom clerk to portfolio manager uh, to a document management specialist. So if you're in tech... That's pretty interesting. That would probably tell me if I clicked on that job that they're looking for a document management specialist, that it works for the IT department. Um, and Have they I bought look- the system? Are they looking to buy the system? Yeah. Really interesting stuff there. You'll see this too for those of you that sell ERP or components of ERP systems. You'll see those statements written in the 10K. Yeah, I was trying to see if they actually called out the specific tool that they're using that someone would need to have, you know, 
some some sort of history with that tool, but it doesn't look like they have a specific tool called out, which again could lead to the fact that they're doing some some due diligence on figuring out a new document management system that would be important to them. Uh, so jobs are obviously valuable there as well, and 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 just uh, a wealth of information if you're trying to sell people or, or or consulting into an account like that. And then it's the whole sphere of social media, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, as someone who manages my social media for another business, it's probably all the same posts managed by a tool that I'm I'm sending it out with. Uh, so probably not a whole lot of variances there, but something that you should go look at. Now, we talked about it. I'd jump back to their website, uh, and I'd probably go into their About Us page. This is normally where I would find out about their corporate culture and things that are going on. I'd find out about people um, and things that are going on. And, and what I'm really looking for on this About Us page is information or pieces of, of information that would be valuable to me and my team. Lots of businesses have a PDF that, that is both quarterly report uh, and stuff about their culture and their five-year plan, all good information that you should be consuming as well by going back to their About Us page. Anything else as it relates to customer research, Brian? I think we've used a grand total of what looks like 14 minutes to do all this work. God, I mean, this is this certainly you could go another level deeper, but oh, of you're already going to be more prepared on the company, understanding the company than anyone else out there. Yeah, we won't do it again for participants, but we'll, we will be sharing a checklist. But the same thing comes into part two of this series or this episode, is, and really that's me, the, the meeting participants, right? And you may not know everyone that's going to be in the meeting, but you have a good idea who you're meeting with, at least that one person. And there's no reason why you can't ask if they're bringing other people so that you can do that research. If a partner's driving and leading this meeting, you, you hold them accountable to that kind of stuff. But similarly to the 15-minute ex- exercise on the on the company, I, I think there's no reason why you don't spend a few minutes, five to ten, to do a little bit of research on each person. And it's pretty much the same level of effort. I would Google them, uh, and then I would go to LinkedIn next, and and then social media. But what what are we doing with a Google search, Brian? What would what? Let's just test. I guess we will test the waters. And this is I have not prepared for this, so we'll see what happens. So let's search Bobby Doss comes up with Facebook. Uh, there's clearly a retirement manager somewhere in the world that has a LinkedIn profile. Lots of other profiles on uh, LinkedIn. I, I think what you you glean from this a lot of times, and there are so many duplication of names that makes it a bit challenging. So sometimes you have to add qualifiers like the city or the state or a company you know they've worked for. But what you're really looking for are um, organizations that they've been a part of or you know, in, investments they may have in in your case, Bobby, a flight school. Like, I, if you know you got the right Bobby Doss, if you're seeing uh, you, know, you next to a plane or something, right? Yep. So you're looking for like what are those external activities that they participate on? Maybe it's a maybe they're a golf champion in their in the country club that they belong to. Maybe they're a big alumnus supporter of uh, the college they went to and and go do a, a cookout. I had a customer. Um, that would always go do this massive grill out for the for the college that he went to, and I swore we would spend probably the, like the first twenty minutes of our one hour meeting of him telling me all the meats that he would smoke, you know, pre game, and he loved doing it. Right? Yep. No Just learned so much about the person. No question. And there's a lot of information that gleams here, right? There, there's definitely a picture of me uh, in the images. 
Uh, there's some more information that you could glean from from just Googling me. But but what if there was a news article? You know, what if I just got promoted or changed jobs or something, and and some that did catch some sort of a news source, you would probably find that information, and that that would be very important or critical. Um, LinkedIn's going to be part of the story that I share and want to share, of course, and it's going to be my summary of what I see myself, and then you'll see recommendations from other people, all good stuff out there. I think what an average rep does is they go to LinkedIn, Brian, they look real quick, they uh, make a, a judgment, if nothing else, based on their picture that's on LinkedIn, maybe their headline photo, and they look how long they've been in the role, and that's about it, right? I think if you read things, you're going to find out whether or not they use SAP, whether they use other tools that might be valuable to your tech sales conversation. You're going to find out information about what college they went to. You're going to find out whether or not they are a licensed pilot. And then if they've been around a long time, they probably have had enough roles and jobs to where you can't see all of them without expanding those roles and jobs. And I would challenge someone if they looked at my profile and they really did their above average work, would they know I was a police officer for six years? Would they know that I was a dispatcher? Would they know that I'm a private pilot? Would they know that I'm a multi-engine commercial pilot? I mean, those things are things that obviously I would want to talk about and, and would be engaging with a sales rep if they talked about those things. So it's key that you do that level of research and that you're not the average rep just taking a skim over it. Yeah, the average rep, again, shows up in the lobby. They read some uh, you know, uh, notes that are posted on the wall. They make some platitude comments as they walk into the meeting. They ask the meeting participant, how long have you been with company X? That person says, I've been here eight years. And they say, oh, wow, that's great. Eight years. And it's like, it's so terrible. It's like, it's completely cringeworthy. Like how much more valuable would that conversation be with 15 minutes of research to where you say, uh, hey, look, it, it looks like uh, your, your stock has rebounded a bit, but I know it's been a tough most recent quarter. And it looks like you guys are getting out of the market as a lot of uh, investors are. Uh, what do you think about that? And do you think they're going to, what kind of conversation is that going to lead to? Like you're, that's an executive talking to an executive. You yep. say, you know, it looks like you have a lot of uh, SAP experience from company so-and-so and so-and-so. And then you went to this company and it looks like you're working with Oracle. How have you found that transition to be? That's an executive talking to an executive. That's a valuable conversation. You, you think they're going to have 20 minutes worth of content for you there? They're going to have easily 20 minutes and it goes back to that how to how to win friends and influence people the Dale Carnegie book that people want to hear and know that you have researched them they want they want to know that you think their background is important and if you can get to that point in these meetings you will be seen as a peer not a salesperson well just think if you there's three sales reps that get this opportunity that the the level of upping your game uh, that, that that happens in that conversation is immense so research the people. Obviously, it goes without saying, and we'll put some some cheaters in our checklist to help you do that. Finally, we're going to talk about preparing your team, and a lot of this is the plan that we build next week, so we'll, we'll skim over this. But we love the quote from Benjamin Franklin that says, by failing to prepare, you are prepare, preparing to fail. So please don't prepare to fail by not preparing. This is the key. So all the things we've done that took 15, 20 minutes tops to do, your teammates, your partners, everybody involved in this meeting should be doing. Your boss, if he's attending this meeting with you, should have done this level of research too. And the reason you don't want to prep your team is the reason, meaning you don't want to regurgitate what you found is because you're hoping they find something you didn't see 
and it's everyone's job to get prepared and then have a conversation about the meeting before the meeting. Average reps blow this every day. Uh, I see it happen. I've been around it. Ask yourself for my last meeting, what did your agenda and your plan look like? How did you prepare for that meeting? And I bet if you were really super honest, it was below average. So if you're a field rep, you know, you need to be doing this. If you're an inside rep, you should be doing a little bit of this and be prepared. I think if, uh, again, if we recap and say, what should an inside rep be doing? You should be spending at least a few minutes before each call preparing uh, and planning with the, with the mindset around who am I talking to and what's important to them. A, a new territory rep with hundreds of accounts should do this a day or two in advance, and the core rep should be doing this a week in advance. Anything to add? Uh, obviously, we could spend a ton of time on preparing for the meeting, um, but I don't want to beat a dead horse, Brian. No, I think we've covered enough for today. Perfect. No doubt. Myself and Brian over 20 years have learned a lot. Uh, and it wasn't all pretty. We've practiced, we failed, we failed some more, uh, and we got good at a lot of this stuff. Uh, you're not, if you don't have 20 years uh, and thousands of customer meetings under your belt, you're probably not going to be able to do this quick, uh, down and dirty. Follow our checklist, uh, work that muscle, make it better, and you'll be great. Uh, if you're new, uh, listen to the first series, go back and check the, some of those tools out and check out our tools and share them with your friends. It means a lot. Um, and as always, average is the enemy. Don't be average. Average sucks, people. Thanks for listening to the TechSales Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the TechSales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at TechSales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.